as your wheels start to peel off, your engine lights are blaring, the screws and bolts of your soul are screaming at you to halt and veer off, to take a break, to slow down, to stop. What if it's right fucking there and all we have to do is just hold on for a little longer? You ask me what keeps me up at night. Why some of us just keep fucking going. Because a message I feel in my bones tells me and has told me that victory is not always given to the fastest. Instead, it is often taken by those who never quit. Search within. Find your stamina. Find your staying power. And find your endurance. MDLP. A year and a half ago and it's still relevant, huh? Mm. You're not crazy? What's going on, guys? This is MDLP. This is the Battle Axe Podcast. We started it with a message that I think we'll end with, endurance. We are now on episode 42. Then fuck that up. And I'm here with my handsome Baron over the North and co-host Johnny Banks. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Man, it feels good to be back. It's been a little bit. We wanted to, first of all, end the year. When you guys hear this, it'll already be 2023, but... This is our last episode of the year. We've had mm-hmm. some fucking amazing episodes, as always, and we've been making episodes for, what, four or five years now, which is insane. Yeah. Um, and we wanted to do it in a way where we ended almost traditionally. I think one of our last episodes last year was a and a That's right. And it's, it's really good to, I don't know, maybe I don't want to call it giving back to our listeners, but in a capacity it is, but also having our listeners give back to us in the sense of, feeling the community we have that we've built around this podcast and just general listeners and fans alike where we do really try to get all your questions and some of them are just pretty fucking amazing and in depth. But we wanted to end it on that note and reminiscing on the year. I'm a big, big believer in new year's resolutions. I love when people say new year, new me, as silly as cliche as it sounds, whatever you got to do to start off the year in a different momentum I think it's great. I know people, you know, fucking start two weeks early, you know, but it doesn't matter. If you get off the couch or you get off your mental bed and you're out there trying to get something after it, I mean, I love that. Yeah. I love it. So ending the year on this, to me, honestly, and I know it is for you, John, this episode is always cathartic, but it allows me to look back at this year and I think some of the questions veer that way. And... There's just a lot that has happened in the last 12 months that will allow me to be stronger and for the next decade. And I love to look back. And mm-hmm. as much as it stings, I mean, I like to look back. I like to you know, look at the horizon and doing an episode like this where I think a lot of the Q&As come with a look back towards a year is like perfect for me. Yeah. 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 You, you kind of lose sight of everything when you get this deep into a, uh, into a year like that, you know, especially... In the year that we've had. So um, let's just get right to it. Let's get to our thank yous. Yeah. Sorry, I got sidetracked on that. Let's uh, let's thank everybody as always. Um, we want to carry BV305. Again, the villains, you guys have always been supportive mm-hmm. and making some major changes. And we'll talk about it soon, too. But feeding hundreds of families, giving hundreds of toys away. Really making the holidays what it's about. So shout out to you guys. I still don't think you guys get enough fucking credit, but. I don't think you ever will, but I'm also super defensive like that. But (laughs) thank you very much to those guys. Cerberus USA, again, always taking care of us um, and giving us a great discount code, which is battle. 
And then our energy mints, eat to go, you know, the permanent blast. Look at us. Yeah, huh? this is us. Look at me. I'm taking a. You guys can't see are. me, but I'm taking a picture right now. You can't get any better content than that. No, thank that's you, it Ray. right there. It's as good as it gets. Storm, Ray, thank you very much for that productions. I think that's our guy that's behind all our videos, our reels. Um, it's really an art form, and it's been fantastic to bring him in this year. I think it's really changed the game for sure. Um, always look us up through that, and of course the Battle Axe Podcast. Um, I mean the Battle Axe Gym and Clan. You guys are truly going to be the backbone of this show forever and uh, a lot of the big chunk of the questions were from you guys which i think is great because you ask really good ones because yeah. you fuckers know me and then lastly um i'm going to give a good shout out to those that we've lost this year on a personal level mm. you guys can do it on your own but uh chris jen mark tommy and kevin this one's for you are you here so, you know how we do. <laughs> yep. Let's dive right into the questions. Started we want to kind of, yeah, for real. <laughs> we want to, we want to, um, we really want to get to everyone's questions. Um, a quick sidebar for all of you that do listen, especially uh, on Apple. If you can uh, leave the ratings, five stars yes. and stuff like that, that really helps promote us to other people, gets more vision on, on us and what we do. And if you like to support us, that's one of the best ways, leaving leaving a comment and, and, and giving us a five-star rating. So that really helps us move forward and grow, yes, which please. is what we want. Yes. So we're going to dive right into questions. Um, again, this some of this took me back a little bit because I think that a lot of these listeners have grown as we have doing mm -hmm. the podcast. And so you can see the change in like the questions from when we did training modalities all the way down to like That's a philosophy observation, right right our and first questions were like what's your favorite color yeah 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 and now it's like, like oh great i'm on a fucking date again yeah what is this man <laughs> i didn't swipe right on tinder you fucking nerd yeah but everybody loves pizza idiot <laughs> yeah. so um we're gonna go through these um it's probably gonna sound a little mechanical because we're reading and uh and we're, we're really trying guys we're really trying to get through all the questions Sometimes some questions just really pull us into a tangent, which is perfect. Yeah. But yeah, bear with us as we're trying to get as many questions and then we'll go from there. All right. So we're going to we're going to start off with the the big man of the house, Andres. Hey. Um, he wants to talk about a good deload week. What's a good deload deload week in your eyes? Uh, lighter weight, pristine movement, et cetera, mm. et cetera. This is interesting topic, and I don't want to say it's a topic of controversy, but it, it's definitely a topic of opinions. Mm. Um, aside from there being obviously data and fatigue and all that stuff. Um, I'll answer, like I meant, I'll answer most questions. It depends. Um, I think deloads should be preemptively given to a certain personality type or a certain athlete. And then there are other athletes where you can prescribe the deload once you start hearing things like I'm tired and stuff like that. Or, you know, this feels really heavy. Or, and there's ways to calculate um, actually fatigue in general. There's the grip device that we talked about. I talked about it on the on the hybrid podcast where you can train that. You can also do different stuff with like uh, basic movement patterns and obviously mm -hmm. mobility stuff. But I would argue that trusting the athlete is always almost always bad because the athlete in, uh, inherently is going to want to complete the job. They're selfish. Their job is to train wow. and do their thing. So I, I don't trust you. my <laughs> I don't trust. My job is not to trust in that aspect. Mm. My job is to rear in the animal and let it loose. That's what I think most athletes need. There mm. are some athletes who are very good at staying one step ahead of fatigue. Typically, they're the younger athletes who don't have a lot of external variables 
kids, family, bills, rent, stress, money, all those variables absolutely do take a major portion away from the lifter and training. So the step ahead of that, a good way to answer the question and bring it back around to deload, there's various options. Mm -hmm. You can lower repetitions. You can lower sets. You can lower or lengthen your resting time. You can lower intensity, meaning percentages of weights. You can change movement patterns. So you can, instead of doing conventional that week, you do a trap bar deadlift or you do a sumo deadlift. Instead of doing a heavy wide grip bench, you do a floor press or a strict press. You can vary the exercises, still maintain some intensity and deload off a certain pattern and still keep the, the lifter relatively intact um, and focused because mm -hmm. a lot of times when you deload too much, and this is something I learned over the years, when the lifter comes back, they tend to kind of hit a wall. They're like, man, we went too light last week. You almost lose your groove. Yeah. Off season, I don't think deload is that, you know, in as demanding because you're not pushing as much. You're staying within a working percentages. You're doing movements that you can be doing. You're doing your quote unquote off season movements. You know, if you just did a powerlifting meet, it's a good time to do some maybe light deficits or block pulls or sumo deadlift or or trap bar deadlifts for a few weeks so you don't really have to you can change the variations of it and still keep a relatively good intensity so there's a lot of factors you can do i would also argue on the psychological perspective at least the perspective of outlook it's a great time on your deload week to tighten up on your on your life sleep more don't be a fucking asshole <laughs> prep your meals you know change your nutrition maybe don't drink so much this weekend try to get Things that make you feel happy. Maybe go out with your family. Maybe do a nice mini vacation. Mm. Those are things that aren't often talked about. But the 99% of people, that when they say they're de uh, stressed and tired, it's almost always outside variables. Yeah. Almost always. It's almost never the program. You can run the same six-week program for six fucking years, and you'll probably see success. But it's the outside variables, which is why I think sometimes preemptive deloads for certain personality types, it's like you're forcing this animal to stay caged until you need to. And there's other people, you know, bodybuilding, obviously less deload per se. So those are different variations. And I, got, I did see a couple questions. Remember, I try not to look at the questions too much, but I did see a couple questions on deload. And I think that answers a couple of them because how and why I use deload and what you can do to deload, there's so much variation. There's so much yeah. intellect behind this question. Then just be like, oh, take it easy. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, like you can like, if I give you a trap bar deadlift five by five at 75% instead of a conventional deadlift, you're still going to fucking feel those deadlifts. Yeah, for sure. But you're, you're not taxing the body in the same way. That can actually be a variation of it. Absolutely agree. Um, so uh, as a side note, you mentioned that you were on the hybrid podcast yeah. uh, with Hayden and Marcus. Yeah, Marcus Leone. Great job. It was a great episode. Hey. I will say to everyone, um, when you notice people doing podcasts like that and you notice that they use a lot of guests, I, I think it's very important that you tag uh, Mike in this stuff because I think that a lot of these podcasts are missing that type of content. Right. And if you listen to that episode, you can feel the actual podcast shift once you start talking philosophy and psychology. Right. It, it takes the, uh, the podcast completely turns. No, and I think you. that a lot more podcasts are missing that. Right. And I think that's what Brent draws people to us. So, again, right. promoting us through you on another podcast, right? Yeah, that was great. That um, was cool of that show. And that was actually really fun with those guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and if you listen to it, you'll see that. Yeah. Um, so to, to carry on, again, he had a, a follow-up question, which is how often would you say uh, conditioning is – or how important would you say conditioning is towards – Heavyweight athletes. Oh, so that's a good question. 
conditioning is all sports specificity or life specific, specific. So I think all athletes should be conditioned, period. Meaning you should be able to maintain your heart rate through a certain amount of exertion at a relatively healthy standard. Meaning you can get on a cardio, or go for a walk and your heart rate's not spiking at 175. It should be, you should be able to find, you know, steady state cardio between, you know, 130-ish, you know, on a treadmill and still be able to speak and talk. Yeah. Um, of course, as you get heavier, it's all cost to benefit ratio. Should you be too conditioned? Um, and this is the difference between cardiovascular fitness and conditioning. In my opinion, conditioning is specific. If I'm a con- if I'm conditioned for running marathons, I'm still conditioned. Mm-hmm. I'm not conditioned to run with yoke, but I'm conditioned. And my cardiovascular exposure is really, really high. Probably my high intensity, not as much. You know, so that's when you sort of things like anaerobic and aerobic. A heavyweight strongman athlete, which is who he's, who Andres is, and what the question is referring to, even a heavyweight powerlifter, should you be conditioned for powerlifting? Yes, meaning when you see when you're a fat fuck, and there's a difference between a fucking fat heavyweight and an athletic heavyweight. That's how you see that people fall apart when they get to the deadlift. Mm-hmm. They're so exhausted, and they're oh, I don't know what happened. I did it in training. I go yeah because you only did five tra- session one session of deadlift that day. You didn't squat and bench yeah. on top of how big you are whether you're jacked or not. Should you work conditioning as a powerlifter? Absolutely. But specific, probably short, high-intensity stuff with some low-grade stuff like walking every once in a while because something you don't take into account. You're walking and sitting, walking and sitting all day. And when you're 350 pounds, that's a big deal. So when yeah. you get to those deadlifts, it's, that's the difference between being conditioned. Now, for a strong man, it's going to be a different level of intensity. Do you need more cardiovascular endurance? Yes. Do you need more high-intensity anaerobic stuff? Yes. So how important is it? It's very important because that's the way the sport is changing. Mm-hmm. It's no longer the giants. It's no longer the 800-pound deadlifts for one. You got guys that are weighing maybe 290, pulling 800 for 10. Yeah, That's a lot of conditioning, that's, besides from being very, very strong. So I don't think heavyweight, the term heavyweight, anything ever gives you the right to be a fucking lazy piece of shit. Mm. The times have changed, and in general, let me add this one more topic. There is life def- after training. There is life after conditioning, I mean, after competition. It's something Donnie always said. If you don't condition yourself while you're doing that, your your longevity and your post-competition life sucks. You become diabetic. You have heart issues. Talk to all of the old school guys that barely did it in condition. They're like, fuck cardio, bro. They're all fucking riddled with diabetes, insulin yeah. issues. They have heart issues. They're overweight. They're fat. You, and the one thing they say is, I should have been in better shape. Yeah, and you throw the really old school guys like Eddie. They'll always tell you there's no reason not to be in shape. Mm-hmm. Always says it. Stay conditioned. Condition means specific to your sport. A relatively understood standing of body fat, good health markers, and you do that with probably for a strongman guy, more high intensity or steady state cardio that's around that. Since we do so much high intensity anyway, when you're heavyweight, you do less. So you should probably pepper it into your training to stay conditioned. During off seasons, of course, makes sense. Yeah, ah, well, there's done. no excuse. Yeah, there's no excuse, man. <laughs> I did it as a middleweight. I was a fat piece of shit when I was a middleweight. Goes, well, I'm fucking strong, man. I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, can't tie my shoes anymore. Like, what am I doing with my life? You know, as as someone again, I'm no I'm no coach or anything like that. But it's also a play to your strengths. Sure. If you know you're not going to beat someone's ass in a static movement, you better b- beat them moving. Right. Right. And if you're a great mover, then get stronger. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. You should know. You know, it depends. But there. No one will ever tell you 
in your life, two things. You're yeah. too strong or you're too conditioned. <laughs> when the fuck? You know, like, oh, buddy, you're so strong you lost. <laughs> yeah. What? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, or, God, you're in such good shape you lost that one. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, and again, right. specific, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I don't know why, but I just really enjoy saying those guys' Instagram names because I feel like I'm pranking everyone. But D's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It's coming. <laughs> yeah, bro. It's so, like, in like, Dennis. Um, I just really like, I don't know. It sets you up for some good stuff. It makes me feel young again. Yeah. We are young, damn it. We're in our prime. He talks about, uh, can you touch up on the importance of routine blood work in labs and natural people? Sure. Um, and I think he mentions natural people too, but I think they're especially important. And I think he mentioned natural people because sometimes natties don't get it as often. Yeah. Um, we all know that if you're a drug user or an enhanced athlete, as they call them now, um, it's very important to get blood work. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at the level of you're taking your drugs, if you know if you're dabbling here and there, I think it's still important. The more drugs you use, the more you should be monitoring your health markers. Mm-hmm. When it comes to natural athletes, you know I think in general people should probably get blood work once a year. That's a general consensus. If you're a person that is of, if you're younger, probably not as necessary to get it more often. Mm-hmm. As you get older or you're more or you're a heavier athlete or you have genetic and you're predisposed to certain things on top of the stress that you're adding from sport, including high amounts of food and calories and stress to your body, you know, the older you get or the more specific reasons you have, you should probably, then probably take it every quarter or so. I mean, obviously, if you're insured, do it as much as you can. Um, you don't have to get obsessed with it, but it all depends on that importantly. The more you want to stress your body, the more... You want to be specific and have some qualitative information of the stress you're adding? Absolutely. And mm. again, the older you get, the more important those labs work become because cholesterol and blood sugars and all this shit and even hermatocrits, if you're on TRT or not, all that becomes much more important because you're fucking getting old. Yeah. And that's just a reality. In 24, you might need blood work. You know, you fucked around and did some mistakes or because you're like trying to get a job. Because <laughs> nothing hurts you. Yeah. Um, I would still add that you should probably get it yearly, especially if you're an athlete. Um, and then, but then, of course, you pepper in PEDs and stuff like that. There's without without question. But for natty people, I think once a year is pretty sufficient. The more specific, the more demanding, and the older and genetic t- predispositions you have, the more blood work you should get, and the more you should sit down with a legitimate doctor, not just necessarily your PCP. But if something's off, find your specific doctors, and then add nutrition to kind of help that out. Beautiful. Nice. All right, so we're gonna uh, gonna double back to Austin. Really, man, he went after gave us a bunch of zingers. You, man, came after all of us. I know, very unfair. I didn't want to talk. I, I asked people to ask questions, and I was like, okay, chill. Like, yeah, you're attacking me right no, now. It's, seriously. <laughs> so we're gonna go a little bit lighter because he was talking about. We all know Warzone, and if you don't know Warzone, how do you? Goddamn right. Um, he said, if city, if the city of Miami was the map, and it was a Warzone match. Who would you be dropping in with? Scott Weaver. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding Same. me? Same. <laughs> don't even, don't, don't, I have three, I have Scott Weaver, hands down, number one. I have a buddy, Oscar, which would probably be my close second. He's wild. Um, and then my buddy, Smitty, would be probably my third. Mm-hmm. Scott Weaver, 
definitely number one. Yeah, Scott right? Weaver's all our choice. Yeah, and I'm going to make <laughs> him listen to this podcast now because he's probably going to have the hugest heart on. I um, um I just want him strictly to protect me at all that's times. That's it. I don't want to do anything. Yeah. I'll be the housewife. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Go out and find you know, duties. Go find some uh, some Ziploc, get some armor plates. I'll be here like organizing <laughs> the grenades. <laughs> I board up the windows. Tranquilo. It's like, uh, just so you know, all the ammo is in alphabetical order. <laughs> So here we are. <laughs> I shine your shoes, babe. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, Scott Weaver is an adaptive strongman athlete, um, as well as an ELD badass, and is currently on the SEAL teams. One of the most loving human beings I've ever met, and a very good friend of mine. I consider him a brother, and he trained with us for a while, and he's probably one of the most dangerous human beings I've ever met. And you never know. Sandals and board shorts. But can literally eat your face. Yeah, yeah. And we drink. I don't drink wine. He drinks wine. And then we just hug and talk about life. Yeah. But definitely, I'm glad we're on the same page. That was easy. Uh, so I believe this question is from Vinny. Mm. Is putting training and personal life on the back burner a good idea when navigating new stressors or multiple stressors at the same time in your life? So that's, that's always a good question. And it's something that I think we've talked about several times, but... I like the question because life evolves. Mm. And since I've been asked that question, probably my whole athletic career, I can tell you in a time lapse, in a kind of Rick and Morty time lapse here, because I just watched Rick and Morty, such an amazing show. But at the beginning, there was never an excuse to stop. That was, I think anyone who stopped training for competition was just a coward. That was my perspective in my 20s and for a lot of my early 20s and early 30s, late 20s, early 30s. It was just never a reason. Family, friends, health. If you wanted to be the best, you sacrificed everything. I still believe in that person. It's just that that person is a tool set, not necessarily a constant GPS. Meaning, if you are not training for something specific, if you're not getting ready for competition prep, that's when other things can turn up the volume. And I remember talking about this analogy. Mm-hmm. If you are, and there's, again, the difference between exercising and training. If you are an athlete, I'm going to be very steadfast, steadfast on this, you never stop training, meaning every session has a purpose, whether mm-hmm. it's to gain a little bit of strength, you know, hit a certain numbers, feel good, mobilize, get blood, you know, blood flow, something. There has to be a purpose when you walk in that gym, and that's the difference between training and exercising. You, if you're an athlete and you want to maintain and re- continue as a competitive athlete, there is zero reasons how, when you stop training. How much you train, that's up to you. If you train once a week because life is hectic, that's perfectly fine if that's what life is demanding of the moment. But there is a very thin line between being a fucking pussy and getting your session in. And as long as you're genuine with yourself, you know, you could be tired and you can be genuine. Just, hey, man, I just don't want to train today. Mm-hmm. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. That'll get you a lot further than going, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow. You know, I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. And then you push it through. There you is know? no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. So to answer your question, I don't think there's ever a good time to put back training. It just changes your perspective and your modality. Changes the paradigm of it. You don't have to hit five days a week every day. You yeah. can hit once a week. You can hit twice a week. Your training perspective may shift from trying to bench as heavy as possible to working technique at 70% and doing two, three movements. You're still training. You still have a purpose. You're not, you're not just going in there and quote unquote, just going through the motions all the time, but you're getting in there and have a purpose. It can just spread it out. Um, You don't have to be so much as you start to put other things in life into perspective, family, money, 
work, those things cannot be turned down sometimes in the volume. Yeah. So those are, they always say, you know, control things you can't control, but in training, you can certainly control your perspective, your paradigms, your, you know, your intensities. So I would never quote unquote, stop training. And it's perfectly okay. And again, you can be flat out and say, you know, none of us, you know, get money for this or whatever. I kind of hate that perspective because a lot of us, for us, training and, and competing is definitely lifesavers and it's purpose and there is uh, a feeling of belonging and it's, you know, even though it's been shunned, in some ways it's quote, it's very therapeutic. And so it shouldn't be put so far back on the, on the back burner. You should be very thankful that you can do this and, and empower it and defend it. Mm. You're right. It's a hobby and it's a passion, but it's important to me. So I'm not going to just drop it. I'm going to change it just like at work. Yeah. You know, you could be having a really busy schedule and you could be coming in a really bad fucking mood. Well, you can change that. Go in with a better mood. Be grateful that you're working. Talk to your employees. Go for an outing. You know, save some money. And all these things are very, very important. But I don't think there's ever a reason why you should slow down on training. Just change it. And that allows you to be happier, to focus on things that are family and stuff like that. And that prepares you for the rest of your life. Mm. You know, knowing that you can change training on command. And then when you're getting ready to compete, yes, you have to shift. Yeah. I think you once said this in the past too, and it may have been during your uh, seminar, but it was also, okay, so if you pull back the training, and I'm just tagging onto this because it kind of made me remember, but if you are training much more minimally now, then what about your intensity when you do train? So when you do get there, that's when you can't be a fucking pussy, basically. It's right. like, if you're going to walk in the door, you're in. train with purpose. Yes. And I used, I will put my foot in the ground. I'll stand on that hill. Yeah. You know, and I, I get it. A lot of people are like, hey, you know, but at least I showed up. I'm like, okay, well, that's why they won't remember your name. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's the difference between you and me. Like, I don't care <laughs> if I go in there to mobilize my leg so I can touch my toe. Something is such so important. Hey, I'm going in here because I want to leave feeling good. Okay, that's your purpose. Yeah. Give yourself a defining factor. That's totally okay. You know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, deadlift 600 to be the strongest version of yourself every single time. There's, you know, variability to that. But I think it's also important to stand on the ground and make a line in the cement and be like, no. Yeah. No, like, no. You know, and then, of course, once you're not athletic or you're not training for anything, you can still remain athletic and be an athlete. But you're not a competitive athlete anymore. Now you can put training. You can exercise sometimes if you want. You go for a fucking walk because your perspective is different. And that's fine as long as you're open with yourself. Yeah. So uh, this message is from WRX755. Thoughts on crossover athletes like Mark Henry. I don't know how to say this last name. Mikhail Kuklaev. And he says, etc. Yeah. Well, so I think crossover athletes are, here's an example. When you talk about lone wolves, and this is where my mind goes, lone wolves are the exception. Mm. Typically, lone wolves die. So when people go, oh, I'm the lone wolf, whatever, the lone wolf is typically bigger, hungrier, extremely aggressive, and very rare that it survives alone in nature. So you can't base the perspective of wolves on a lone wolf. They're pack animals. Their hunting percentages are very low. They need other other wolves. They're very loving. They're, they're very good on hierarchies. My example is crossover athletes are very rare. 
mm. that you are a genetic freak in some cases or just very gifted and work very hard. The general rule is if you're going to be a hybrid athlete, you most likely will never be really great at one thing unless you are a freak. You know, you had, was it Bo Jackson? He yeah. was very good. As very, he was good at both sports, but he was a great football player. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan, great basketball player, okay baseball player. I guarantee you get Team Tebow, who's an athlete. He's just really good at collegiate football, and it's hard. It's very, very rare where you see. And even then, those guys who are professional athletes who do nothing, when they go to another sport, they're okay. Yeah. Mainly because they're probably overshadowed by their career and their other sport. Is it impressive? Yes. Do I think that you should be a multi-sport athlete? You're looking at one. Right. I am a multi-sport athlete. I have done several sports. But I would tell you that when I chose to be great at one, I had to hunker down. I think it's admirable. I think it's awesome. I don't think it's for everybody. I think most people learn the hard way. I think you should venture. I think you should try. But be very real with yourself. If you want to be great at, at something, you really have to dedicate your life to that one thing. If you want to be good at several stuff, by all means. Have mm-hmm. fun. Enjoy it. I think it's awesome. I think people like that, you know, uh, they really pave the road, for myself included, to try other things. For me, <laughs> I've never, the only thing I wanted to be really great at was fighting and strongman. Because those careers are on the end or have ended, I've always liked to be good at a lot of things. I like the journey. I like the learning aspect of it. I really do. I like figuring things out and being bad at something. So to me, being great at the sport and being a champion, as much as I want it, is not the end, is not the outcome. I yeah. like to learn. I like to be a sponge. Some people don't like that. They want to win. They want big numbers. They want to beat other people. And then when you get the guy that's been doing the one thing for 10 years, he's going to smash you. And you're like, oh, I don't belong here. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love it. I think it's great. It's not for everybody. I recommend it to certain people. I think you can dabble in and, again, be truthful with yourself. Mm-hmm. What are you really doing for, for you know, three, four sports for? You know, because oh, I'm good at them. Well, good, but you're not great at anything. Is that okay? Are you okay with that? Yeah, I'm okay with that. Cool, man. Cool. Post your videos. I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Support you. <laughs> you know. A little high five. And not to the face this time. <laughs> All right, let's go back here. Don't wanna. Well, let's uh, let's take Tomer's question. Nice. Tomer asks, "Love Tomer. Tell me, the homie. Tomes. When it comes to special or when it comes to specialty training or specialty strength equipment, excuse me, such as bars, do you believe that one stands out from the rest regards to how much of the population can benefit from using it?" Oh, that's a good question. Hmm. So. I would say that, I don't want to say it depends on this one. I think the, the two bars that come to mind are the SSB bar and the Swiss bar or the football bar for benching. If I had to do two two changes there. Trap bar as well. Um, the reason why is because the learning curve is probably smaller to use these bars and they have a high benefit. So the cost to benefit ratio of these bars is so skewed in the sense of high benefit to low cost that you're going to see them not only popularized, but used by all walks of life, from big to small to beginner. You know, a camber bar is a little bit more complicated than the SSB bar. The SSB bar has a high benefit. It's an easy way to grip. It's great for developing the squat, the upper back. It saves the shoulders. There's a longer list of benefits, and it's 
pretty accessible. It's a bar that's more popularized. You see it more often, so you're going to see it at more gyms if you have to find a specialty bar. Swiss bar and football bars, again, have been used at that kind of neutral press. If I had to pick a pressing bar, that's a fantastic one. So if I had to pick one bar that stands alone, probably SSB. Mm. You know, you have a lot of benefit from it. It's, you know, you can use it with injuries, like when you have elbow or shoulder injuries. It's great to save the shoulders. You'll see it a lot of football players. The learning curve is very low in the sense of how to squat with it. And I think that you can use that for any sport, any age group, any kind of training per se. You can obviously use it on lunges and stuff like that. So SSB number one is what I would do. Obviously, trap bar, that's a variation of deadlift. You'll see that more often than not, Mm -hmm. too. I think, again, the learning curves there is a little easier, less stress on the back. So those are the bars that I would probably mention above all. There's so many fucking bars, but those three take the cake. Beautiful. All right, we're going to come back to him. Let's go with Susie's question. If schedule is limited and requires a three-day program versus four or more, can you build strength with three days, or will it just be maintenance to keep current strength? Also, age factor, over 47. Will it be even more of a challenge to build on a three-day program? So this is what happens when people limit their training sessions to Monday through Sunday. Mm-hmm. they are like, I need to get three days a week because they're in this kind of pre-boxed in that training is a seven-day parameter. You have a seven-day limit to hit a certain amount of weights and movements, and you're going to be judged if you don't get it in these seven days because then you're fucked. And that's most people, with especially with a relatively normal schedule. Getting stronger is not limited to days. It's expanded into years. So if you're worried about how many days a week it takes to get stronger, don't box yourself into that when technically you can work out once every four to seven days and continue to get stronger the rest of your entire life. Because what really builds strength is recovery. Maximal strength. Mm. The more you lift that day and the more you recover into the next, the more you will grow. So if I train once every four to five days, that's 1.5 per week. In a month, I can probably get really fucking strong without any supplements. I'm getting stronger and I'm training twice a week. So the answer is, can you get stronger with three days or less? Yes. How fast you want to get strong, what you consider getting stronger is, is where now you start to get variabilities. Mm-hmm. If you have a certain limitation or there's a competition coming up, what you do in those three days now becomes too specific. You can actually get stronger in two days because you have plenty of time to rest. What most people can't deal with is the anxiety of it. They're like, if I don't train four days a week, you know, I'm not going to get strong. There's no science behind that. None. Zero. So if strength is typically measured through how much you're either gaining in muscle mass or performing, it's not limited to days. It would say, how strong have you gotten in the last five years? Probably a better question. Or how strong have you gotten in the last macro cycle? You know, how long have you gotten stronger in the last few months? That's a good question. Yeah. And if you say, I'm stronger, then don't fuck with it. You know, and if it's two, three days, then your coach, which is me, will probably make those three days, trim the fat, and make them very sport-specific because what is very important to a competitive athlete? Winning. Winning is important. Mm -hmm. So if you can get more technical and more 
great neural response from training and you're getting better in your movements so that you can go out there and win, you may not have necessarily gotten stronger, especially because she's probably referring to strongman, but you got more efficient, you got more conditioned, and it's enough to win the day. So let's look at that in different perspectives and let's understand that strength is measured in a lot more than a few days if performance can take, to understand that can take months and years and then we can test that. So there's nothing wrong with training under three days. I think people can actually get very strong training less. Now, if you want to be a bodybuilder, yeah, three days is probably not enough. Although Dorian Yates trained three fucking days a week for years before he got massive. So what does that tell you? That you can't get stronger and huge, drugs or not. You want to use them, it doesn't matter. In three days, if those three days you're getting after. Mm. So, yes, is the answer, yes. Wow. Take that. Nice. <laughs> Take that. <laughs> so, uh, all right. These are interesting because they're all kind of similar. All right. So we'll go with Esteban. Nice. How would you go about programming a hypertrophy phase for a strongman competitor in the off season without losing too much mobility or the sport specificity required to excel at strongman? Well, I would argue that that depends, right? How much hypertrophy do you really need? Are they an enhanced athlete or not, male or female? How old are they? What's their current muscle mass? So to answer this uh, specifically, because I know who's asking me, but let's make a blanket statement. Um, I believe how many times you compete a year matters. So if you compete twice a year, that should give you somewhere between six or six months or so of off season, maybe a little bit more depending how you get in there. That's plenty of time to get into a like hypertrophy phase. Mm-hmm. How you train the hypertrophy is very important. Um, lately, I've been, tra- like I said, I've been getting programmed for my bodybuilding through Paul, and we work a lot till failure. So it's like two sets, and I'm working till failure, but those two sets are probably worth four sets of 20 that I've ever done. Um, I'm also older. I also carry more muscle mass. So for me to get hypertrophy is very easy. For me to lean out is very hard. So diet's my biggest factor. Mm-hmm. For a strong man, muscle is very important, obviously, for any sport. You, like I said, you can never be dogged for having too many muscles. Mobility and bodybuilding, I think, is more often than not the fault of the person, not the sport. I think what ends up happening, some people don't train through full ranges of motion. Some people don't mobilize and pay attention to their rehab and stretching after. Mm-hmm. And yes, obviously, if you just lift weights and never mobilize, you'll get fucked. But I would argue that strongman and powerlifting is much worse than what you'll see bodybuilding secondly and this is from personal experience as i was doing bodybuilding training and throwing my mobility never suffered in fact because it's mobility not flexibility because my muscles were stronger i can pull my ranges of motion better because my muscles are now stronger to expand my joints and hold it in that position Mm -hmm. than when i was weaker Mm. because what really helps mobility is, is being strong so I would argue that it's, it's, the, it's the athlete who has to pay attention to that. The phases can last, it depends. You know, how long do you want to be off season? Yeah. But, uh, you know, if you get three sets of 15, and this is where I think a lot of people fail, it's very easy to develop a three sets of 15 hypertrophy on a machine. It's very hard to do it on dumbbells because you just want to quit. Yeah. You're doing on your third 13th, you're like, oh, I don't want to kind of half it. You don't have a spotter, you're like, fuck this. On the machine, you can push through it for the most part because you won't get hurt. 
So, you know, you can, I think you can still maintain a hypertrophy mindset on your offseason and still hit those accessories really hard while still keeping your technical technical stuff, still deadlift every once in a while. Maybe on your shoulder, they add some log cleaning presses. I do this with a lot of my hybrid people online, my hybrid athletes. Mm-hmm. You know, we do bodybuilding work, but we keep stuff like deadlift, squats, and overhead press because it's important. So they attack those, but since we're off-season, it's okay to fail. Fail often, you know, fucking go to failure, get that pump, do that, but, you know, hit those main lifts. So, yeah, again, it's a loaded question in the sense of it would be specific to the person, but yes, you can. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I, I think that one thing that I'm always a little bit jealous of um, in terms of people who bodybuild is, say, for example, you're trying to get into a position uh, specifically, like for me, uh, on my bench press, right? right? And that's setting the shoulders down and back. Um, I don't have good mind-muscle connection. I need the right cue to make me do that. Right. Whereas, like, if you were to tell a bodybuilder, okay, just, uh, you know, set your lat and push it down, they'll do it instantly. Yeah, Which very good point. In, in what you said makes sense more sense now that you were focused on bodybuilding. You're able to activate muscles through a range of motion for your throws. Right. Which then I'm like, huh. Yeah, and it... it it's it practice get, without practice. Correct. Oof. Nice, look at us. Wow. <laughs> and I, again... Is is it the sport's fault? Should you have a mind muscle connection as a as a performance athlete? You should have one of the highest mm-hmm. muscle mind connections. It's most likely that when you're training your singular unilateral movement, your mind's aloof. That's your fault. If mm-hmm. I'm giving you a one arm row, train it like a bodybuilder. Fucking identify your lat, squeeze your hand, tighten your trunk, feel. If you have a band push down, push the fucking bands down, feel your but more often than not, we as performance athletes are just going through it so we can hurry up and get to the next day and do a yoke. Yeah. Or hurry up the next day and do a log press. It's like, oh, fuck that. You know, I'm not a bodybuilder. I'm like, what do you mean? You don't want to be jacked? Yeah. You don't want to understand how to use your biceps? Because all of us, most of us, especially my generation, grew up on bodybuilding. Yeah, We grew up on that level of strength. So, you know, why not incorporate the tools and the mindset from each sport, like Jeet Kune Do and Bruce Lee, like, you know, be water and take those into it. You know, and recently training more bodybuilding, absolutely. The more I connect with the muscle, but I've always been a huge fan of that. Yeah. It's just getting stronger allows me to connect more because I can fucking, I'm just stronger. I can feel my muscles more. Yeah, and late 70s, early 80s, strongman was bodybuilders doing strongman. Yeah, fucking (laughs) Pacifico. Awesome. So uh, we'll move on. Um, We'll go with germs a worm. That's a nice one. Yeah, I like that nice little a nice transition depending on how athletes train on the general programming what are some ways you have changed the programming to help athletes sport specific outside of the general programming so how give us an example of a way you've tailored okay to an athlete okay well well, you specifically john um when we started doing the google sheets now that's more it's a little bit more work because there's more stuff but there are some athletes who need to have that to have more communication, more articulation of the training session, and more specificity because everything is laid out in a different way. Yeah. And not everyone responds well to that. Some people are overwhelmed, and they don't want that specificity, and they don't want to answer, and it just, I might as well just go the other variation with the emails. So there are some ways when we do stuff like that for programming where, you know, the importance of communication between athletes and facilitating that with how we lay out the programming and the charts and the Google Sheets is very important, as I talked about in the other podcast too. Mindset, you know, having an actual conversation or a block that says mindset per training session 
you know, and having this kind of mental hygiene one through five and or one through ten, you know, ten being amazing, one being, you know, a bad session. I do five typically on on certain people and some people I use ten because having ten is too much. Right. They, they, they get lost in that. Five is a little bit easier. Mm. And that having that ability to understand what their mindset is going through and having something quantitative is important. It's like I said before, if there's a specific time of the month or week where we're just constantly stressed, let's say Friday is very stressful for work. It'll help me if I consistently see low performing days and then maybe we'll move a training session around that. Mm. So you can go, Oh, well it's not just me being stressed. Obviously that day is is ruining my training session. Why not train Saturday, Sunday? Yeah. So those are ways that you can really kind of go outside of the norm, outside of just programming, you know, squat, bench, deadlift to allow the lifter to get some variability and understanding. And it builds that education on them. So obviously linking stuff and all that stuff's important. Yeah. You know, when you spoke earlier about like the stress of trying to do the work in seven days and stuff like that in the, when we were doing Google sheets, um, the best thing you said to me was, hey, you don't have to do these on these specific days. Yeah. It's just a template. Right. And what that did for me is it really allowed me to kind of listen to my body a little bit more and, and, and flip-flop days or stretch days more. And I think that helped me the most, which is why we did what we were I able mean, to do. look what you did. Yeah. You're fucking great. And yeah. you have a life. You have a kid. You have a right. wife. You have a ho- two kids. You have, right. you have a, a, a life, right? And it's like what ended up working out for me in my opinion was we needed to communicate better. Yeah. Not just, Hey, I'm doing good. I'm like, you're not <laughs> you know, like talk to me. Why, when, where, what thing mattered. And sometimes you have to make it another cue per se, another yeah. format. Um, the sidebars of the Google sheet really worked for me. Cause then I could go, this felt like that was right. Did this too. And doing it the other way made me have to come back to it. Cause then I would just do the training and then sit down and write, the day and i have some people that they get overwhelmed by that yeah and then i can't and then they get frustrated and they don't update and i'm like okay well i'm gonna punch you (laughs) (laughs) so we'll figure it out uh so we're gonna go to bearded panda nice uh tremendous blessing hey Mm. i say that all the time that's like my blessing i start with that that's how i all my emails yeah yeah (laughs) been wondering about this especially having the first one creeping up in terms of competition i believe what items should I make sure to have in my bag for comp day? Is it a strongman comp he's doing? It must be. Um, I think so. Miami's baddest? Yeah, I think he's doing maybe Ragnarok. Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. So, <sighs> it depends. Let's do, let's be fair. Let's do for both. It's powerlifting and and, uh, and strongman. For powerlifting, it's three events. You should already know what you've been doing for the last, you know, eight weeks. Your wrist wraps, always do double socks, double underwear, double singlets if you're smart. Your belt, your knee sleeves, every single piece of item you would do on spread throughout the week. If you're a beginning lifter, this is what I like to do with mines. I like to run uh, with mine, not mines, Jesus, uh, a mock meet, a very low percentage mock meet, either at the beginning of the training cycle or maybe towards the end, where they have to bring everything they're going to need on meet day. I do this for first timers, maybe second timers or people who've been gone for a very long time because that day they're going to need everything they need for all three lifts. And it's a great time to catch it a week or two before your competition. Be like, Hey, did you bring your wrist wraps? Oh man, I forgot. Or all oh, these knee sleeves. And it's better to get that nervousness and that stuff out of the way. I do it a lot for that. 
and the commands and the pressure and that kind of duration of the day. Yeah. I do that often enough. But once you get more experience, you know, you should already know what you should do per lift. And those things should be either doubled or neatly packed at the beginning of the week and triple checked every day. Trust me, I met, I won my first strongman competition using Jessica's brother, Paul, who's a good buddy of mine too, his belt. I forgot my belt. My belt of all things, I forgot. So, and in my first nationals, I forgot my all my elbow sleeves and knee sleeves. I have to buy them that day. So anyways, so this is one of those things where you get you think you know it, you've done it, yeah. and, and, and get with it. For strongman, it all depends on the implements. You know, if there's if there's an axle deadlift, you might need a specific straps. If there's a log, if there's no log, maybe it's an axle. You might need different elbow sleeves that are not so thick. So it all depends on the events, of which you should know because you're using these things every time you train them. So what I tell people is that you list down all the events on a cue card, is what I tell my guys. It's something Triana gave me on an index card. And each index card has each event. And what you need physically for that event, mental cues, and what you will want to get out of there. So, yoke, belt, knee sleeves, soft belt, mouthpiece, you know, elbow sleeves and wrist wraps. Mentally, you know, go through, you know, tight, push hands, brace, what you want to get out. Want to finish first here. And after each event, I tell them to kind of discard it. You're done with the event, good or bad. That's a, that's a thing that I do with my lifters. And that allows you to have at the end everything you need for it physically and then your mental cues. And that's an easy way. And again, in strongman, it all depends. Yeah. You're never going to bring the same thing to every comp because there's always different events. So it depends on or that. Or just bring everything. <laughs> bring the whole fucking... Bring the whole fucking... Travel box. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like Highland Games. Some guys show up with like uh, the fucking suitcase. Yeah. I mean, I have that fucking... The, the thing you get at Home Depot. I call it a dad box with the little... Buckles on the side. Mm. That's what I have. Well, that's for Highland Games, for Highland Games. That's cool. Because I have like four, four pairs. You also of have like boots with knives in them. I know. Which I thought you were using to prevent crime, but well, it turns out we're still Highland. not not doing that. That's fair. That's true. That's fair. <laughs> uh, let's go. Uh, we'll go with Josh. Oh man, nice. Isn't he uh, Josh Stone or Josh Hellman? Stone. Nice man He's of the year. Man of the year, right? Man of the fucking year. Yeah. Nice. It's a good choice. If you were building a home gym on a limited budget and you were a power lifter, what would you buy other than a rack barbell and a, uh, adjustable dumbbells and a bench? I mean, that's pretty much it. <laughs> but uh, if I had a little extra money, I would look into probably a lat pull-down machine that do not take up a lot of space. Most of them are not that big. They're, you know, they're, they're, their carbon footprint, per se, is not that big. And you can do so many variations of pull downs and push downs. So if you had a little bit more space, I'd do that. And then probably one odd object, some sandbags or a heavy kettlebell. Uh, not that I consider a kettlebell odd object, but it's odd enough. And a sled. Uh, everything else, I think if, if you're a power lifter, if you have bars, plates, dumbbells, and a rack and a bench, adjustable bench if you're luck lucky, you're pretty set. Yeah, and then just add the sled for some conditioning, which I think is important. Sandbag because I think sandbag should be in every gym possible. It's an incredible way of you know retaining strength and good back maintenance and conditioning. And then that lap pull down would be the one treat that I would get because you just get so much out of that. Yeah, you know, different grips, single seated, triceps, biceps. Some of them even have like the bottom cable, and they're not that big. 
they really are not that big. They don't yeah. take up that much space at all. And they're a little pricey, but they've made some more affordable ones all over. So those are the ones I would get. Yeah. You can do the uh, the junkyard option and kind of yeah. create your own, too. Yeah. Pulleys. Do it yourself for, like, 12 years. He gets it. <laughs> he gets you can build. I mean, he builds everything. I've seen some stuff on the Internet, too, that are pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, oh, another question from Germs of Worm. I actually like this one, too. Um, have you ever hit writer's block when it comes to producing programming and training schedules for your athletes as a coach or as an athlete for yourself? <laughs> That's a good question. I thought I saw one. Yeah. I mean, I get writer's block as a writer. Um, I get writer's block or you know programming block all the time. Yeah. And when I find myself in that rut, it's very easy to be making an to be excusable when I'm saying, oh, you know, it's the basics. Stick to the basics. Well, there's a lot of variations of the basics that are still basics, but I just get stuck in the same thing, you know, because I know it works. I don't want to make changes. You know, we'll do dumbbell shoulder press for a while. The best way to break that up, I think, is to talk to other coaches, speak to your athletes, and be coached. And with when you're consistently doing that, it's not that hard to get out of a block. It never is that hard because talking to your athletes and asking them about what's going on, it's an easy way to configure out or to figure out and configure variations that they need because most of them are either hurting somewhere or something that they might not want to tell you. So they're like, oh, my elbow hurts. Oh, easy. So let's go to floor press. You know, you're not in that block anymore. Mm. So opening up communication with your lifters is the easiest way to break that block. Um, Again, getting coached is incredible. That is probably the next one because if you're a coach, you should probably be getting coached somewhere outside of your norm. You should also spend time coaching yourself. It's very important. You should do both. There should be a, a period of time where you're coaching yourself, and that's when he mentions one as an athlete. There's going to come a time where you just hit this block where you're not making any more gains. You're doing the same thing or you're doing what you'd like to do because you're not going to program shit you hate. You're not being held accountable by an outside force and you fall in this rut of just doing the same shit and not going anywhere. Yeah. Getting a coach or finding a coach, especially one that you respect, they also program different ways or they say different things or they do different exercises and you're like, oh, I haven't done that in like six years. Well, fuck yeah. Okay, of course, do that. Or different rep schemes and they remind you and there's conversations that you learn from. So, I mean, out of those three, the, those first two is very easy for me to to get out of those especially as if you're getting stuck in a writer's block as a coach man just talk to your athletes it's that easy yeah yeah i mean literally happens on the podcast all the time yeah <laughs> i mean fucking <laughs> literally maybe today this is what's happening now we hit a block and we ask you guys those questions yeah exactly we're like oh, we got nothing. Right, fuck you guys though no i'm scared <laughs> um this message is from nicole but like eam at the end nicole Oh, uh, it's Nicole too. It's Nicole too. Oh, it's yeah. Nicole too. Yeah, we call her. There's three Nicoles at the gym, so that's two. Wow, that's yeah. Two. I know. Why don't you just have them all fight to the death? I was gonna say first blood drawn. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, we're doing on New Year's Eve. Of course. Let's settle this. What effects besides feeling better did healing your gut and working with a nutritionist have on your sleep, your training, and your overall performance day to day? So shout out to Mandy, who I've been working with for the last almost year and a half. Oh, year and a half. Um, working with a nutritionist, 
is very important. I've worked with Paul as well. He's been with other people in the past. The only reason why I stopped working with Paul was because I was taking advantage of the friendship. He was my friend, and I took advantage of that, and I said, you know what? I'm not respecting your work. I can't work with you because I'm disrespecting you. Because yeah. he's my friend. I'm getting the program. I wasn't doing it right. Yeah. I felt guilty to that. I'm like, I don't like this. I'm going to keep fucking you. I know me. I'm going to not report in or cut corners, and we're going to ruin our friendship. I go, let me just step away. And he, he was obviously very cool with it because I was truthful. When I worked with Mandy, being somebody I didn't know, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I can't MDLP my way out of this one because I tried. And that was very important for me to work with a nutritionist, mainly because accountability for me has to come from reporting to someone who I respect. So I will test you constantly until I think you're worth it, I guess. And I don't mean that to sound arrogant. I think it's important to ask questions. I think it's important to be yourself. I think it's important to be honest and communicate like, hey, this, that, and learn when you're wrong and learn when you can actually learn something. That process on top of being taught nutritionally and with supplements and discipline and work, how I can heal myself out of gut issues. Gut issues runs in my family really bad. And I ruin it myself constantly. Alcohol being the number one thing, but also overeating, overstressed, undersleeping, things that we do constantly. Mm -hmm. And it has helped me significantly in the sense of, I think the number one thing is more awareness. Being more aware of my body. And it's funny. The older you get, the, especially as an athlete, you become like a Ferrari. You're fine-tuned. You get you hit like a nickel on the road, and you're like, <laughs> you blow up. <laughs> you know, at 24, I was a Hummer on fucking 40-inch tires. No problem. Yeah. You know, you're almost 40 years old, and you've been have been doing sports for almost almost 17 years. Yeah. Bro, I eat like a piece of pizza that's not right. In three days, I'm you know, fucking poop everywhere. I'm like, what the fuck has happened to me? And I laugh because. I can get punched in the face all day, dog. I'll fight a whole army of orcs. You don't know me. I've been on Middle Earth, son. I've been on those fields waiting for Gandalf's slow ass. I've been there. But then I eat like the piece of cheese, and I'm the motherfucker dead on the end of the scene. I'm like, what happened to Mike? Bro, like, I ate a piece of cheese in my hand. He's pooping out there. Fucking dies of sepsis on, on Oregon Trail. Cholera. What? See, you know what I'm saying? That's my life. But, you know, when I, when I think about that stuff, it just made me more aware. And look, admittedly, I still fuck it up. Mm. You know, this is one of my downfalls. It's like, I'll fuck that up. I like drinking. It's not so much that I love, I love drink. I like the ambiance of it. It's very hard for me to step away from the old version of myself that could do whatever he wants and accepting of my age and where I am now. It's like, okay, you still can do what you want, but you got to, is, is drinking really all that you want to do? And I'm like, no, or eating bad. I want to feel better. I want to be more present when I'm training instead of being like, oh, you know. So working with somebody as far as understanding my gut, I've been helping, able to help a lot of people with their gut health and nutrition. I'm pretty good at understanding nutrition or I'm surrounded with people that are you know, vastly more educated than I am. It's made me more fine-tuned and more aware of my body, which has opened up doors to be more prevalent in the sense of going to doctor's appointment, getting blood work, you know, seeing the cardiologist, understanding my body, going to the gastro doctor. Like These are things that I would just brush aside, but... I refuse to be fucked over with stupid little shit from neglect and lack of discipline. If something attacks me blindsided, bueno. Yeah. But for stupid things like that, and it's changed my life in a, in a very big way. Um, and I think the people around me as well, too. Because if they see my ass slowing down on certain things, they're like, oh, fuck. Mm. You know, if Mike's doing it, maybe we should probably do it. You know, like, so it's been a big deal. That's dope, man. 
yeah, I definitely. Uh, you can you can see uh, from you the physical changes. Oh, thanks. What um, what time did you say you wanted to do the live? Twelve twenty. Okay, time. we got some time. Okay. All right, so let's look here. Uh, kissed by stone. One more. All right, let's see. What other sources, other than your guidance and coaching, do you think your athletes would most benefit from? Well, I think it would come from the people I know in the community. Um, the people that, have, that I respect, that I work with, that I host for seminars, that I repost. You know, working with Paul in the mentorship, I've met some really great uh, people. Same thing when I was in Pat Davidson's mentorship. Mm-hmm. Um, the connections I have, if I repost somebody and I'm like, read this, it means that I, I really respect it and that you probably should too if you if I'm your coach, right? You should trust me to share information that I think is valuable. Even if it's information you don't agree with, it's probably valuable to know that side because a lot of the things I read, I don't agree with. Yeah. I just, some coaches, I'm like, I don't fucking agree with you, but tell me why so that I can either not adapt that or adopt it or go, huh, maybe I am wrong. Yeah. You know, and... I think that's important. So my, I think the one of the biggest values I bring outside of, you know, like our podcast, I think it's fucking great, number one. If And I don't want to sound like that. But if you're not listening, also all the people we've had on this fucking podcast, but all the people we've interacted with and a lot of our subjects come from listening to people. Yeah. You know, not just as much as we can sit here and talk about our demons because that can be a whole fucking year. It's it, it's experiences in the community of strength and in in life and the culture that we live in, the people that are listening to us. My daily exposure to athletes, I literally talk to 40, 50, 60 athletes a day. So there's questions and these philosophies come from talking to that. Right. Um, you know, and then, of course, people that I know, geez, and this is incredible, like having Dr. Locke, Eddie Cohen, Dave Tate. I mean, these are people that I, like, I highly respect that I'm reposting their information. And from there to people down the street hey this guy wrote something fucking fantastic you should read this and i think it's important when you work with somebody you respect or coach or mentor or teacher that when they tell you to read something or they give you a resource milk the fuck out of it milk it to the last to the last bit because that means that it's significant information and it's probably coming to you for free (laughs) because your coach or your mentor your professor has worked so hard to get this information to you free or whether you want to use the regurgitated or reformed or re like new information of what is being given down so that you can understand it. Mm. And that's super important. Um, And I think that's one of the biggest things I can offer the battle axe gym in general, but anyone you look up to outside of the, like the paradigms of coaching and programming. Sure. You know, uh, I'm glad that you brought up other people because I've noticed a little bit of a pattern with the people we've had on. Is um, relatability, right? <laughs> and Great. I say that, right? Because, okay, yes, we're strength athletes, your coach. And these guys we've had on are great strength athletes and great coaches. But if you dig deeper into a Tate and you follow that story of how he got there, you listen to Duffin's story of how he got there, what he went through so just to be a strength athlete. If that resonates with you as an athlete, then follow that. You're gonna keep seeing this echo. I love that you said that. Yeah, and it's and and that's how I think we've come to be. So that brings me to Austin's question about who we've had on the podcast, 
So I want to. I don't want to mess up the wording, but it's in my head. Is it in Dutch? Here, it is. well, it probably it is. Be, yeah. So to date, who has been the most memorable guest on the podcast, and why? Hey. If you could have anyone from the past or present on the podcast tomorrow, what would they be, or who would they be, and what conversation would you have? <sighs> okay. That's tough. I want to say this without hurting anyone's feelings. Anybody's yeah, feelings, sure. okay? Which, not like my priority, but. We've had some really incredible, incredible guests. Mm -hmm. um, I would say for me, the one that I probably, one of the ones I cheese, it's not going to be in any order. Let me just say a few of them. Okay. I don't think one is enough. Uh, fuck you, Austin, for making me pick one. But Stuart McGill comes to mind first. The reason being, and I still think he's so relevant, he's just chilling. I owe so much of changing who i am him and brian carroll i mean not you know it's just Stu mcgill's like Stu mcgill when you get to meet and talk to somebody that you admire and that you consider a intellectual mentor at that capacity and they're so genuine and so approachable and so relatable and that we were able to take him out of the paradigms of just i'm using the word paradigm a lot but fuck it I feel smart today yeah but no glasses well, though yeah i know i Almost brought him. Fuck. I can't That's even right. see the fucking live stream. Look at these <laughs> chubby eyes. And take him out of that, out of his norm, where he just started talking about his life and his experiences and opinions. And a part of me wants to have him back and be like, look how far we've gone. Yeah. And look where we are now. Tell me where you are at. Because we interviewed you maybe four years ago. Can you imagine what he would say or just the conversations we would have after the four years? And I would love to tell him my experiences as a coach and what I've seen and how much he's his ability to to believe that things are going to be okay had come down onto me and to Brian and to me. And I think that's super important. I think a lot of having those people again years later, because I think we really evolved in the mm -hmm. last few years, not only as hosts, but as athletes and as coaches and as men. I would love that. Having Eddie, I mean, the reason why is because I talk to Eddie like every week. Yeah. You know, so he's seen how much I've evolved. But having him back, I mean, like, hey, man, look what we've done since then. Yeah. And that, but since I talk to him all the time, it's it's different. But it would be great to have him on the, on the podcast. And one, you know, Paul's a great example. Yeah. You know, two different, same guy, two complete, almost two completely different guests. And I think if we did another episode with him in two years, it'd, it'd be a third. Exactly. I'm going to agree with you on, on, on McGill for sure. Um, and then I'm going to say... I would really like to pull Duffin back on oh, man. because, um, man, and I can't think of the guy's name right now. He just pulled a thousand for two. Oh, yeah. I know you're talking about. He's got braces. Jamal Browner. Yeah. Jamal bro. Browner. So he pulled a thousand for two, which is incredible. Disgusting. But I, I, all all the young kids on social media are like, oh, you're the goat. Yeah, I've never seen yeah. anyone do that. Duffin and I want to be like, time. just so you know, Duffin has done that, but he also squatted a thousand for two. Right. Didn't Duffin pull that for more? He did like one? I think he did thirty days of eight hundred, something like that. Okay, okay. Well, pulling eight hundred every day for thirty like, days yeah. or something ridiculous, stupid, insane. Yeah. But anyways, like just to pull people back into the know of like, hey man, like you got to know where Jamal Browner pulled that thousand for two because Duffin made him believe it was possible. Oh my God! Listen, you want fucking? Per I thought about this last night, and it was something I want to talk about on the table talk because they give you a list of what you want to talk about. And I wanted to say, it, this all comes down to the four-minute mile. 
Mm-hmm. What we're watching now in the strength community is because people showed you that you could do it. It's like when no one said you would beat the four-minute mile. Once it was broken, another 50 people beat it in time. Right. When the, Prior to that, for 3,000 years, at least what we understand, no one had done it. Did people get faster? Actually, and scientifically, no. If you look at human performance, there's fractions of a second. You know, you have Jesse Owens almost running as fast as Usain Bolt, which is crazy if you consider the fact that Usain Bolt is brought up in completely different standards of food, technology, shoe wear. Jesse Owens was still super fast, maybe under a second, don't quote me, in 100 years. So have we gotten better and stronger? The consensus is outside of PEDs is not really. So what is it? It's belief. It's belief that you can do it. That's a huge factor. Placebo, psychology. Look at the 500 uh, kilo deadlift. Impossible. Now how many people are knocking on that door? Oh, man. 40 years ago, if I would have told you, hey, the 500 kilo deadlift, impossible. Never. Fuck no. No steroids. And look, Eddie, Co- uh, Eddie Hall being big is not the biggest man in the world. Right. Strong, but not the biggest. And he pulled it, whether yeah. it killed him or not. Now you guys got pulling that. And then th- when Thor beat it. But you guys got knocking on that door because it's been done. And several. And several. It's not and just one guy. Big, small, whatever. Yeah. So I remember when the thousand pound deadlift and, and heavyweight strongman was like Benny Magnuson, like a few people. Yeah. You know, because you think as a strongman putting a thousand, it's one out of like 50 events. So it's a big deal. It's not a power lift to doing it. Right. And it was like, nah, you know, now the average, average, Heavyweights pro strongman should be cool, pulling close if you want to be top level. Close yeah. to a thousand should be what you do. Yeah, I feel like the top tens are all like nine hundred. Nine hundred plus, yeah. which is fucking bananas. Look at the middleweights. I remember oh, eighteen hundred pound deadlift for a middleweight. It was like, no, you yeah. got to be a heavyweight. Now you guys got doing seven hundred plus for reps. Yeah, come on, man. So, to me, you know, piggyback on what you're saying is a lot of these guys that prove they're possible are huge. Not like here's another example. Being able to do what I do, mm. having an Instagram and hosting a show and online clients is because I saw other people do it and I followed in those footsteps because I saw it was possible and then I made it my own. So people being there and showing that like Duffin and all these people, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's a big fucking deal that makes it possible. Yeah, absolutely. Man, that's that's where we are on that. Yeah. Uh, Four minute mile. Here I come. All right. Chill. So I guess we'll get to the, the harder stuff, huh? Oof, I'm ready. All right. Question for Mike. This is again Austin because <laughs> thanks. Uh, looking retrospectively, what would you have said to Mike of 2021 to have prepared him for 2022? Looking forward, if you could assemble a time capsule of sorts from 2022 to be opened by you in 2023, what items or memories would you include? <sighs> You want me to go over the first part again? I got or you got it. I fuck. Yeah, okay. it's loaded. You know what I... <laughs> I, I thought about... This, not this specific question specifically. I thought about the question when everyone asked, like, what would you say to yourself 10 years ago? Yeah. That's typically the question. Five years ago, what would the guy in five years say to you now? My question would be, what would 2021 Michael tell me now? What would Michael 10 years ago tell me? And that I would probably do more listening than talking because if I were to meet myself, he would have to see how far I've come. He would have to know and look at me and 
see how I'm walking, how I'm talking. If he's anything like me, yeah. he understands something has changed. Right. Um, because I'm meeting myself. You know, first of all, I'd probably like give myself like a little makeout session, be like, "Oh, okay, you're you're pretty hot." Right? Yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> I kind of get it. I knew you're a good kisser, you fucking nerd, weirdo. You're gonna practice on your pillow. Tush, okay? Like do a turn. <laughs> I turn for myself like a fucking self-involved fuck. <laughs> we so I'm just hanging out. I'm just hanging out. Um, but truthfully, I would listen to the things he's telling me he wants to accomplish in 2022. I want to hear that ambition. I want to hear what he's he's planning. And then, you know, tell him it doesn't really matter what I tell him at that point because that version of myself is gone. But there hasn't been much change in the perspective of preparation for me. Mm. Um, and I, this is something that I learned this year in a very, very difficult way. Most of life's hard battles, you're never prepared for it. But you should train for them anyway. And those training modalities and that philosophy comes from, this is something I said on Acts Giving. It was a very thorough speech and something that I really felt in my bones. And it was a, it was a, and I'll send it to you, but there was a moment. It. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There was a moment uh, in my life in this year, you know, especially with my father where, you know, things just got very, very difficult. And I said, well, what the fuck prepared me for that moment? And it was never giving up on training, on my on my lifters, on my business. And it's these outside factors of consistently believing the impossible is possible that I learned through sport and observing it in others. Like seeing people accomplish something that they never thought was possible shows me and proves to me that that is important. Mm -hmm. And those perspectives, you can never really prepare for. You can only consistently train for that you can withstand the hit. If that was the case and I would leave a time capsule for somebody to me in the future, it would be very difficult for me to leave items because a lot of the things I learned this year have no like hard value. Um, but I am a person that loves visuals and I would probably leave a couple things. I would leave my dad's uh, hospital band on the wristband to consistently remind me that the fragility of life is extremely fleeting. I would leave <laughs> the, the forward sign of my Bronco because those were two moments that both I lost almost my life and my father's. And I think that death and the, the nature of it around the corner are the biggest teachers to me personally, Michael De La Pavel. And that's all I would really lump up of 2022 is that everything ends. And I know I say that so consistently, but I have never been more reminded of this hard fact than in the last 12 months, so viscerally, and I responded the way I wanted to, with appreciation and like, okay, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, uh, it, and, and to really take that. I wouldn't leave much more, maybe a little flask with whiskey and be like, good luck. <laughs> good luck you fucking you cocky fuck yeah good luck the next year um but that's about it that's what i i find myself on that all right well i guess i'll do his question to me yeah <clears throat> so the question is for john having now been an awesome dad for nearly two years now that's it. Yeah, I don't know. Fast. No, nah, that's very difficult for me to think of myself, but thank you. Like that. That's <laughs> strange. Has your perspective continued to involve continue to involve in that time? 
What new goals or aspirations have you acquired, if any? Mm. I, my mentality has changed in a way that has made things more important uh, for what I leave behind. Mm. The things that I do now are for everything to come. Echo in eternity. An echo in eternity, exactly. And so I guess all the decisions that I make or the things that I, I look to do are only about the future of my legacy, my kids, and my wife to be mm-hmm. okay. Um, in terms of goals, um, you know, I have some strength goals still that I want to do. Um, I feel like they can only be achieved under Mike. Uh, so that's that's truly the only way to go. And I think uh, outside of that is just to continue to build this foundation of life for my family. Now you got to think, yeah, like you said, <laughs> I think that's one of the most terrifying concepts for most men yeah. to have kids, myself included, is that now all your moves have to be calculated for the next 20, 30 years. Right. Which is tough. That's a different level of responsibility. It's so heavy, man. Ugh, bro. And it's... Uh, it also coming from being a young man who was always in survivor mode, you know, mm-hmm. I, I always had to worry about where's my next meal coming from or day to day. Right. And this is from being a kid when I was a teenager and being like, where's my next meal? Where, where am I going to sleep tonight? Right. You know, yeah. to now being like, okay, this is my home. Everyone has to right, But this roof happens because of me. Right. And it's like, I don't, you don't ever, you said it right. Leadership is lonely. It is. And, and when you're the leader of a home and, and you know, in a lot of things as we are, it's like, damn, you never, you never get to turn it off. You never do. And leaders don't clock out, don't clock out, man. You don't. <laughs> uh, trust me, I've been trying. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't. You know, there's no holidays. <laughs> so um, we have we have a lot more questions, too. This is We're going to slam them. All right. Uh, Lexi, as an athlete, coach, and a man, you've been through injuries, adversity, and many challenges. It comes to a point when you have to take a step back and realize it's time to reset and rebuild. How do you deal with that mentally? How do you know the difference between my body and mind need this and I'm just being a pussy and making excuses? How do you come with ter- how do you come to terms with the decision after years of pushing through what life has thrown at you? Well, that's a good question. I think that understanding who you are is probably the first step into overcoming anything. Meaning, you know, if sports throwing difficulties at you, that's just something that's going to be as consistent as life throwing difficulties at you. You know, I, I can say that the last 12 months have been the hardest 12 months probably of my life. That certainly doesn't mean that the next five years are going to be easier for me. I'm just going to be better prepared. When I look at life in that perspective, most of the time when you get hurt or when your life gets really difficult, you're, you get a tunnel vision. You think you can't see past this moment. You can't see past that anxiety. You can't see past that pain, whether it's physical or emotional. More often than not, it comes from an outside source, whether you want it or not. Hey, it's going to be, we got to train. Things are going to get, you're going to get stronger, whatever you want to come from. But you have to learn how to do it internally. You have to learn how to take a step back for to look how far you've come and what is it and where are you do you really want to go? When I was younger and I would get hurt, it was nothing but a it was just a stepping stone. It didn't matter. Ruptured tendon, injured spine, torn muscles, broken bones. 
it didn't really matter because those are just things that I can train around because I wasn't going anywhere. I was the sport. The sport was me. This was my life. Same thing in life. When life hits you down, and this is a perspective I have, when life tries to tear you asunder, I'm not really going anywhere unless you fucking take me out. So there's no, you, I'm looking at this like, how do I train around this difficulty? Literally and figuratively. There is no question because I don't plan on checking out unless life checks me out and I'm going to cheat my whole way through it. As an athlete, you have to understand what your perspective is. Do you really want to keep continue competing? Is this really what you want to do? Or is this something you're telling yourself you need to do? I found that answer of recently, actually. Once I tore my tricep tendon, a big part of my soul was deflated. A big part, because I had done everything right. Mm -hmm. And probably from years of not doing everything right, it caught up to me. And it just, it that still haunts me to this day. And that was a year ago. Yeah. I made a very real conversation with myself and I said, do I really want to compete for myself? Am I having fun? Am I passionate? Am I you know, fun in the sense of, I wasn't even having fun. I'm just like, I don't even want to do this. That allowed me to make a better decision. Reset button? That's a very difficult question because I'm not resetting anything. I'm restructuring, maybe rebuilding and reinforcing the person that I am. Meaning, I'm a fucking athlete. It doesn't take a sport to define me. I'm an athlete. You can put me... In whatever sport you want, and I'm going to be fucking good because I'm an athlete. I'm driven from that. I'm mm -hmm. a person that doesn't give up easily. I'm also super self-destructive. So you have to analyze what I'm doing with this. So I wouldn't say reset per se. It's reinforcing what your values are in the sport, what your values are in expressing yourself and what this sport really means. Is it hard? Yes. Does it build character? Yes. Does it last forever? Absolutely fucking not. And you're more likely to gain more value and more experience from shit like this than if everything went right. And I mean that in both life and in training. So as a man, I've been tested consistently. More often than not, probably my fault from setting myself up to hurt myself because I'm that person that uses those things to get stronger because I'm crazy like that. That being said, I also don't lie to myself. I knew that when I got into strongman competitively and I lived my life, that I was going to fuck myself. I knew every time I took every drug and every fucking bottle to the face and every fight and every late night that I was losing years of my life. I never lied to myself. But I knew the experiences I'd get from that. And I knew the values and the person that I was going in and going out. Mm. And those are the things you need to reinforce. You know, if you have to hit the reset button, and I don't mean that you're literally trying to do that, you're looking at it the wrong way. That means you're clouded and blinded because you're in the moment, you're in the mud, and you're not looking up from the top where the ladder's been already thrown to you, right? It's like drowning in two feet of water. It's not, it's not that it's not a big deal. Mm. It's that you have plenty of time to stand up. So for me, going forward and consistently going forward, it's changing my perspective. Am I getting more into bodybuilding? Yes. Do I think I'll probably attack it a little bit harder? Yes, because you know what's fun for me? Suffering. It's fun for me. I like things to be hard. I like challenges. I like learning new things. I like learning those paradigms. Dieting and being strict and working on aesthetics, something that I've battled with my entire life is very hard for me. I love performance sports, and I always will, and I always will still to do that. But is am I resetting anything? No. Do you think I am? No. It's just another way of expressing who I am as a person. Mm -hmm. And if that means dieting harder or training harder or rehabbing as fucking hard as I can, that's the person that I am. That doesn't change ever. I just find new ways of expressing it and finding new values. Mm. 
Well said. Nice. I felt good about that. Well, unfortunately, I'm going to have to pull us away from the questions. Oh, yeah. Well, that's fine. Because it's, it's getting a little late. And, yeah. and I know. took 10 minutes to find my fucking speech in the beginning. That's all right. So in the fear episode, we're discussing fear. And you mentioned that you like to describe fear as a person. Mm. And with 2022 bringing you so many highs and lows, uh, so many wins, but yet so much chaos. Describe to us what 2022 would be as a person. Sing your tail, Bard. Fuck. <laughs> if 2022 was a person, it would be like sitting down with an estranged friend. I've had a few in my life, and I've had situations where I have lost friends. Okay, say it's strange friend or even an ex-lover per se where especially friends there was something there and you knew you had something and the year came by and time came by and singular things destroyed something that had value once especially with an, uh, an old friend that you lose and you miss them like crazy and you think about them often you want to reach out often but you're too prideful and you're too angry and you're too hurt and you put everything in your life first. You put training and work and money and time that you make up. And you lose track of them. And then you lose them. You know, you lose them whether it's physically or mentally. And all you can think about is how good things used to be. And how you will never do that again if you can just have them back. If you can just sit down with them one more time. And that's kind of the estranged friend. You sit down at this long-forgotten coffee shop in your mind or in physical form. You sit down and you order the same drinks because you used to be best friends. And you feel awkward at first, but it's like putting on old shoes. You start looking at each other like you know exactly what you're going to say and you laugh and you shake hands. You talk about being kids together. And you have this refreshing notive of why you were always this way with this person if you just needed a fucking reminder. It's like sitting with a ghost. That's what this fucking year feels like. Like if I can sit with an old friend and, you know, be reminded to that perspective where I didn't really need to be reminded how much I miss this person, but that they still know me. They're still there. Is that I needed to be, I needed to reach out. I needed to do the work. That it's fleeting and that it's fast and that friendships are sometimes there forever, but you need to work. If I can picture this year, be that, to sit with an old friend and, you know, you have like those animosities a little bit <laughs> at the beginning yeah, and you're awkward and you're mad and then quickly you're like, why was I even that mad about? Because losing that person and losing people around you just reminds you the value of that. And that's what I would probably picture that, that this year as, hmm. you know, somebody that knew me to my core where I felt myself kind of skimming away in a certain way and they reached out and they're like, hey, you want to grab a coffee? And I'm like, I don't drink coffee, but I'll see you there anyway. <laughs> I'll give you one sentence. It can be any structure, as many words as you want. One sentence for you to say to your estranged friend, what would it be? You were right. Mm. <sighs> That you were right. 
you know, um, if I can say anything to this year and to that friend, I would say you're right. And um, just rem <laughs> it's not that it's necessarily um, admitting defeat, but sometimes admitting that another person is right opens up certain parts of your soul. And telling them that they were right sometimes takes so much weight off your shoulders. And, you know, I didn't need a whole year to remind me that everything ends. But if I was reminded in a year in so many ways, um, and I let that go a little bit, and you're right. I always say, man, you were right. Life's fucking hard. Life is a fucking bastard. And I am not infallible. And that I could be wrong. And, uh, you know, I push too hard. And that you should take some, some breaks sometimes, not always. And that's probably what I would say to you. Man, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> Touching the sun, I got it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Let me get a break. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you define in this year as your biggest win? Oof, my biggest win. You get one. Uh, so <clears throat> Take your time. tell you a story I tell you a story because I told the story already uh, this year like I said my father went through some hard stuff and I um, we almost lost him to a brain bleed it was very difficult and like I said before there's difficult ways of saying goodbye and not saying goodbye each is his own hell and I got to say goodbye but I was reluctant because I said goodbye because I, it could be the last I just didn't believe it Anyways, fast forward like four, three, four weeks, right before I came back from Alabama, right after Alabama. I had this, and I say this again, I had this not this unrealistic perspective that things are going to be okay. I went to visit my dad at the rehab. He's not doing so well, but, you know, I didn't know any better. We didn't know, but his, his blood hemoglobin was low. He was very faint. I said, let's go outside. Let's get some fucking fresh air. Fuck this place. We rolled him outside, and, you know, my dad's got his fucking, my mom's got his catheter. It's it's awful to see your old man like that, weak, tired, on a wheelchair, and whatever. I'm like, papi, let's, let's stand up and do some walking. So my mom's there, and I pick him up, and he falls into my arms. Like he just collapses into my arms. And <laughs> I hug my father. Because he's been fucking bedridden for three weeks, the tube down his face and brain fluid, and then you know, I just I got to hug him, and he fell into my arms, and I just, and he hugged me, and I felt his head, and I, you know, I'm bigger than my father, but I never felt bigger in that way, and <laughs> I got to hug my father when I thought that I would never hug him again, and that 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 switches something in your DNA because. I started crying, and I cried. <laughs> I cried in a way that was, I sobbed is what I did, uh, out of happiness. I have never cried out of happiness in my entire life. I have been alive for 38 years. I have shed some tears, you know, seeing somebody. I've seen 
family members or <laughs> Colombia beat Argentina in the World Cup or stupid shit. But like crying and uh, he leans into me and he, <laughs> he pats my shoulder and he's like, mijo, you know, like, and I said it at the speech. Still worried about me, you know. This fucking guy is dying, basically. And I, I cried and I said, no, no. I said, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm crying because I'm happy. Because I fucking knew this would happen. I knew it. Like, I just, there's not a lot of things in life that are not tainted with dishonesty or lack of genuine feeling. Almost everything in life will be peppered with doubt or hate. There's very few things in life that are so pure that I have felt personally because I'm so skeptical that even things that are easy to think about, I pepper them with being skeptical or, or, or paranoid or f- afraid. But I was so confident that my father was not going to die that way. That when I, I cried, it's because I was like I was right. Because I knew it. That you couldn't tell me otherwise. And I held up my father. And he felt like nothing. Like he was so light to me. I felt so physically capable. And so fucking strong. And my mother looked at me like I had him. She wasn't nervous. And I held him. And I'm like, I said it then. And I've said it a few times. I feel like I can carry 10, 10 of him. I'm like, it's my turn now. Like, I'm, I felt so fucking strong. That was my biggest win of my life. Because all the things I've done physically, mentally, you know, had led to that moment. Had led to that one single moment of, of feeling strong all over. And that was probably the biggest win of... One of the biggest win, if not the biggest win of my entire life. And it just so happened to happen on the most difficult year of my life. Which is the dichotomy and the way of the code, of the warrior code. You don't prepare for these things. You fucking take them. You withstand the hit. You're not always supposed to counterattack. And that was one moment where it wasn't anger. It wasn't rage. It wasn't your typical, you know, sad. It was just really happy for believing in the impossible. And that's what I talked about earlier today. It's like I learned this through sport, through people, through leadership. And that moment was just affirmation. Because it would have been very easy to just believe my father wasn't going to make it. But I am that guy for the most part when things are really difficult. I will believe in the 1%. I just do it sometimes foolishly, but that was right. I was gambled with that feeling, and I fucking took it. And that was probably the one the one situation where I think I'll take that W any day of the week. Yeah. <laughs> That's a story I'll tell always. That's a pretty cool win. Um. What is a lesson you learned this year that you would tell everyone from this point on? Hmm. So, in conjunction, it's funny because I would tell this story, what I told you. I say it in this podcast because it came out in the moment. I don't know if I'd always tell it because it's just so emotional. I also don't think everyone will have the same value because I don't think everyone has seen death 
in that perspective. Or uh, sometimes people are either too tainted or too young. I mean, I'll tell the story when it needs to be told. And then in that value, I said it too, and I've said it before. The lesson that I learned this year, and it's very important to me, is that everything you do in your life is preparing you for the hardships that are going to be fed to you. The way that you treat others, the way that you love and hate things and people, your rage, your anger, to your happiness and true love. The ability to show up to work, your consistency with others. All the things you think are little, the way you dress, the way you shake a hand, the way you make eye contact, the way you look at yourself in the mirror, why you drink, when you drink, what you eat and how you eat. These moments may seem fleeting, but every time you do something that is true to yourself, it is preparing you for the moment you get fucking rocked. Because I promise you, no one is going to be there for you when the moment hits. Not initially. You can lean on all the shoulders you want. You can talk to whoever you want. But the moment those things hit you, you have to withstand the force by yourself, if even for a few seconds. And you'll find out and you'll think back to all the moments you've had in your life where you could have trained harder, where you could have practiced more, where you could have spent more time with someone, when you could have reached out more. Those moments are so valuable in preparing you for it's really coming your way. You never miss a training session, but everything is training. Family gatherings, kissing your loved one, Christmas, birthdays, random beers on a Tuesday. I prepare you to deal with these things. Because you want to go into these informations and these values and these, these fucking trench warfares knowing you did everything you could every day of your fucking life because that's how you honor people when they're on their deathbed. You shake their hand, you're like, I fucking will live this day the rest of my life. If I've ever been more fucking convinced that living life to the fullest is the most selfless thing you can do out of love, now is the fucking time that I know it. I fucking know it. Because when you think you're saying goodbye to somebody for the last time, you want to know that you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to push as hard as you can like you've done every fucking other day of your life. That this variable is something to add to your weight. Not something to slow you the fuck down because that's not how that person would want you to go. And they taught me this year, <laughs> this year taught me that. Or confirmed it for me, I think. So, <laughs> I, uh, I I bring those that value um, to me to myself constantly. I wish, and I tell this to a lot of people. I tell it to myself. I wish somebody told me, and it's a very it's a common thing. They're like, oh, hopefully next year is easier. I'm like, I don't want an easy year. I just want to be stronger. You know, it's, it's some of the I've read it something off some other quote or something, but I just <sighs> I train and I. And I hope for strength. I don't want things to be easier for me. I don't wish hardships. <laughs> Trust me, I wish this year had never happened this way. And your action items and your value and your, your, your perspective is that everything you do all the time fucking matters. And that's okay. It's okay to understand that you're not going to bad fucking a thousand all the time. You're not going to be at 100% every single fucking moment. But showing up to training, 
shaking that person's hand, not being late, returning a call, being proactive with others shows you how to be proactive with yourself. Man, I really am saying that I'm not the greatest person on the planet, you know, by far. But that I haven't sold myself out yet. I let myself down all the time, but I am the one that tries to pick myself up because others have taught me this. And this year and this training and this body and this soul and these outside experiences, I promise you, nothing gets easier because you learn to love a little harder and you start to lose a little bit more. But we prepare. We prepare. You're always prepared. Like the warrior in the garden. You have to be that person. So, I think today has been probably <laughs> something that I needed personally. I think we both needed this con- conversation. I think all of us here listening have left a little bit of their souls in each one of their questions. I never look at these questions like they come from some empty space. I think if you're asking me how to go forward, I always say to look back, if not just briefly, so that you can sink your teeth in into the present moment, so that you can advance forward with the memories of all those you ever loved and yourself. I think love will always be the sword, but anger can be the sheath. Learn to use both as weapons and learn to never forget that you are capable of never giving up. I have had to lose too many people to that. But understanding where we are going and why we are going and what we are doing is why being a good person that does bad things is not the end of the world. That digging down and being able to pick someone up when they can no longer walk is purpose beyond measure. That you'll do that for someone at the beginning of their life And if you're strong enough, you'll do it at the end. Because legacy is the foundation of that strength. And living without the regret of giving up is in your bones. This is the Battle Axe Podcast saying don't be a pussy. Everything ends.